Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 19th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, we, we've been talking at length about, you know, the future of the theatrical experience. And I think last time we talked about this, we went into the idea that some major Hollywood studios could end up buying these these movie theater change. And, and, and maybe that would be how this whole thing is saved. But uh, it seems like the Hollywood studios are not interested. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so we, we don't have the answer of every Hollywood studio, but uh, Universal and Warner Brothers, two very big studios, both uh, not just said no to the idea, but they kind of laughed at the idea, which is kind of brutal. Um, here's, a, here's a quote <laughs> from, uh, from Ann Sarnoff, who is the um, Warner Brothers CEO. Uh, um, uh, we're big fans of the exhibitors. They've been good partners of ours for many de- decades. We're rooting for them. I know it's kind of tough right now. I'm hoping they come out on the other side. 
which is basically like good luck with all that. I mean, it's, you know, obviously I don't have her actual voice saying yeah. the quote. So maybe she said it in a more upbeat way, but it, it really reads like she's saying like, nah, you're on your own movie theaters. Good luck, which is, you know, true, but also uh, not, the, not the best of news for movie theaters who are, are, are in, in dire need of some sort of assistance. Yeah, so Universal and what is that, Warner Brothers, you said? Yes. Uh, they join Netflix in saying that they, they're all, those are all not interested in joining, you know, the the extremely profitable world of movie theater <laughs> exhibition, <laughs> which uh, wasn't even profitable before the pandemic and after yeah. the pandemic is, is not so profitable. Um I, you know, I, I feel like we've talked about this to death lately. Like, I'm not sure what kind of, what other angles we, we can, we can, you know, assess as that. But I guess my question to you, Chris, is do you think we'll be seeing any of the major studios buying at least one of the major movie theater chains? Or do you think that's not going to happen? I, I really feel like at least one of them will. I, I just don't know who. But, you know, it's so hard to say just how this is going to all pan out because I don't even know, you know, how much longer can movie theaters put up with this? Like, is there even going to be are there even going to be movie theaters left to buy soon is 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 the is what I keep thinking about. I, I really don't know how this is going to all shake out. I feel like it has to be a big hitter. It has to be like, Disney you know, Netflix. Or- yeah, D- Disney or I mean, even bigger than Disney, like a, a Netflix or a uh, Amazon, like or Quibi, <laughs> or, yeah, or Quibi or Apple. Yeah, Apple could could do could get. I mean, for Apple and Amazon, for them to buy AMC theaters, like the biggest chain in the United States, is like a drop in the bucket for them. Yeah, especially I mean, especially Apple and yeah, yeah. So maybe one of those. People will those I say people those companies will care enough to try to keep this movie going experience going that they they could you know have a but loss like on there. The, the question becomes like, do they only sh- like if Apple buys it? Is Apple only going to show Apple movies in the theater and everyone else is out of luck, or are they going to be you know uh, magnanimous and be like, yes, give us all your movies, but are they going to like run up a very exorbitant fee to get other studios to share their movies in these theaters well guess what chris we're gonna have to find out <laughs> yeah. that, that, that is our future that is the future we, we now live in yeah yeah okay uh let's move on let's talk about avatar the next shadow this is not the avatar 2 sequel that we've all been waiting for but this is kind of a sequel in a way brad tell us about it Yeah, since we don't know if movie theaters are even going to be around by the time uh, Avatar 2 comes out, we might as well enjoy an Avatar sequel comic book uh, that's on the way in January of 2021. Uh, This is the the first Avatar comic book that will take place after the events of the original movie. There have been a couple Dark Horse Comics uh, Avatar comic stories that have been released so far, uh, one in 2017 and one in 2019. Uh, But those dealt with um, stories that I I believe happened concurrently with the events of the movie, if not before the movie itself. Uh, So this will be the first one that follows after the movie. uh, And I guess it follows uh, Jake Sully as he uh, finds himself ill-equipped to defuse the internal conflicts threatening to tear the Omatikaya apart. That's the clan of the Na'vi uh, at the center of Avatar. 
Um, and so, uh, I mean, how could I forget? I know, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so apparently, uh, they're perilously unprepared for a treacherous plot to remove um, him from the clan forever. And as we saw at the end of the original Avatar, uh, Jake is now permanently inside his Navi uh, Avatar body. But apparently, that's not enough for him to be officially part of the clan uh, with Natiri. And so, we'll see a story of how that plays out in this four-issue limited series. So this is going to fill in the gaps between Avatar 1 and Avatar 2. I, I guess what I'm curious about is why do this in a comic book form? And now with Disney, you know, putting all their money into Disney Plus and streaming is the future for them. Why not make this like an animated movie or series for Disney Plus instead? I mean, one reason I would imagine is probably James Cameron is really busy with getting the Avatar sequels lined up. You know, um, not only is he working on Avatar 2, but they've been working on Avatar 3. Uh, Avatar 2's live action and motion capture are complete. Avatar 3's motion capture was complete, and they were close to finishing live action just at the end of September. Um, so those are going to keep him busy in post-production for the next couple years, um, even three years since Avatar 2 doesn't come out until December 2022 now. Um, and so I imagine since Avatar is something very close to James Cameron's heart and he has to oversee a lot of the creative decisions for the movies that he would have to do the same for some kind of animated series. Um, beyond that, I'm sure, you know, that they have some kind of deal with Dark Horse Comics to produce so many comic books for them based in the Avatar world. And maybe this story just isn't exciting enough to spend the money on something that would be as expensive as an animated production. Oh, you bring up a good point there. Yeah, it's Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Disney owns Marvel. You'd think they would be doing it at Marvel Comics. So this is probably a pre-existing deal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. uh, The next story I wanted to talk about today involves Luke Skywalker and Star Wars Episode Eight. Uh, actually, I don't know how to approach this because this, this is this is actually interesting because the story broke from a book. And we, we saw this tweet online uh, of this page from this book. And it, it sent us in a wild goose chase for like days of like trying to confirm that this page in this Star Wars book was legit. It looked legit. Um, but, you know. It, it, journalism you can't just believe some some photo that someone tweeted out that could could be photoshopped so uh we contacted the publisher didn't hear back we went to our our we tried to contact our local uh targets and barnes and nobles they didn't have the book uh i ended up buying on amazon to confirm the story as legit uh so it took us like a week to confirm this from you know a, a tweet of a book page to you know our actual story uh, but I think the story is worth it. So, uh, Ben, tell us about Luke Skywalker. Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting thing. So this new book is called Star Wars Fascinating Facts, and it's written by Pablo Hidalgo, who is one of the, um, you know, the, the gatekeepers of Star Wars mythology. He's been working at Lucasfilm for a long time. He's like the uh, the lore guy, basically. Um, and so uh, this book is it, it contains all sorts of, as the title would indicate, fascinating facts. One of them is that in George Lucas's original treatments for a, a sequel trilogy, in his treatments, uh, episode eight would be the one where Luke Skywalker would die, which uh, sort of coincides with what actually happened in the uh, sequel uh, sequel trilogy that we really got. Luke Skywalker did die in Ryan Johnson's Star Wars: The Last Jedi, so uh, that's sort of an interesting thing. You know, we it's it's so. Everything that are in uh, Luke 
are in uh, Lucas's treatments. I, I've been sort of uh, shrouded in a lot of mystery. Occasionally, a little piece of information will come out about them, but um, we really don't know a ton about what exactly he envisioned for uh, these three movies if he you know, had the opportunity to make them himself. So anything like this is sort of like a fascinating uh, peek behind the curtain just sort of looking into uh, his mindset of what he wanted to do with these characters. And it turns out that um, that he would have killed Luke Skywalker in episode eight, which is really, really fascinating for a number of reasons. And I'm sure we'll talk about them in just a second. But what, one thing I want to bring up before we even get into like addressing that is that uh, this seems to clash with something that Mark Hamill said, because he said in 2018, he his quote was, I happen to know that George didn't kill Luke until the end of episode nine after he trained Leia which is another thread that was never played upon in the last Jedi. So that was his quote. And um, do, you so, think that, do you think that quote, or do you think that quote is based off a conversation he had with George Lucas, like before he decided to make this sequel trilogy? Do you know what I mean? Like if he, you know, when he originally made star Wars and new hope, he had this idea for a nine episode saga. Right. Yeah, it like, could be um, like maybe they had that conversation in, you know, 1980 or whatever. And then yeah. by the time that Lucas finally like sat down and actually wrote things out and like maybe even after he made the prequels and, and sort of like hammered down the details, maybe things had changed and he had shifted that to, you know, back back a little bit in the timeline or something. Yeah, that, that definitely seems possible. Um, it's just an interesting sort of, uh, you know, uh, conflict there between the uh, the would be creator and uh, one of the biggest stars of this franchise. Yeah, it's interesting because I I don't think anybody like usually when a star new Star Wars book comes out, if it's fiction nonfiction, all the websites get like an advanced copy and like we write up stories from the revelations that it has. I don't think any of the <laughs> The movie sites expected there to be any information in this fascinating facts book, so none of us, you know requested an advance copy um so th that's why it came out so late it came out days after the book was in bookstores and uh, there was actually some other information in there uh, george lucas's name original name for ray <laughs> yeah this one is really uh part of the reason that we were like is this fake is it what is really going on here and and you had to actually order this book just to confirm this and make sure that it was legitimate but yes apparently this is legitimate and uh the idea of a young woman going on a quest to become a jedi knight was something that george lucas actually had in his original outline as well um she was, in his mind, a 14-year-old girl named Taryn at one point. Uh, later in the development process, she was named Thea. And then, <laughs> this is the ridiculous part, uh, her character name became Winky for a little while. So, uh, obviously, that never happened. But, um, man, just Winky. thinking about Daisy Ridley playing a character named Winky is uh, very amusing to me. Yeah, and they, there's also a, another page in there that, like, talks about how, you know, Ray would be going in search for Luke Skywalker and finally finding him. And his, Luke Skywalker's look would be uh, George Lucas wanted it to be inspired by, what was it, Apocalypse Now, I think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah, Colonel yeah. Kurtz. Yeah, so I, I guess this leads me to the question, like, you know, we've had the story. The story was that, you know, George Lucas sold star wars or lucas all of lucasfilm to disney and disney decided to throw out his treatments and do their own thing that's like been the narrative that we've 
occurred. Yeah, that's what, he, that was in uh, Bob Iger's book, I think, that that yeah. uh, version of events. So, I don't know. It, it seems to me every time we hear something about George Lucas's treatments, aside from, like, these names, but uh, it, it seems like they're, like, you know, Ray was in his treatments. Ray was going to try to find Luke Skywalker. We, we, we see in the concept art books that he had, like, a home on like octu that looks almost exactly like it does in you know force awakens and uh last jedi and now we learned that luke skywalker was gonna die in in episode eight in his treatments so i i guess like maybe like is do you think that maybe more bits i mean obviously they did not use george lucas's treatments for the three episode arc uh you know We've talked at length about how it's not even um, consistent among the films. So I don't think they had like a grand plan, but it does seem to me that there's more bits of what George wanted to do in here than maybe we thought. Yeah, it's interesting because like, you know, when you spoke with uh, Ryan Johnson, for example, around the time of Last Jedi, he I remember him saying that he basically had like complete free reign to tell whatever story that he wanted. And I wonder if he had a chance to look at any of these original treatments and and outlines and stuff before he, uh, you know, began the writing process, because it would be easy to, like you said, not, you know, uh, be a slave to an overarching narrative, but sort of pick and choose little things that you like and, and you know, put your own spin on them. So I wonder if that happened or if it's just, um, you know, there's a sense of inevitability with especially the Luke Skywalker thing. Like there are only so many reasons why that character would be completely absent from the events of um, The Force Awakens and the the way that that character uh you know evolved and and was depicted um is is one answer to that question so it would you know it's not unreasonable to think that lucas and ryan johnson came to the same conclusions about the character um but you know it, it is just really yeah sort of interesting to think about and now that we know for sure like some of this stuff it, you know originated with lucas it's like did it originate independently or are these are, are, you know ideas that people came to uh you know after being inspired by one another it's all just a part of the big star wars suit you know i i also think it's a, a bit obvious that i think you're trying to echo the original trilogy in a way and luke skywalker you know serves as somewhat of a mentor to ray uh and you know as did yoda in empire strikes back and mm-hmm. you know we know what happened there uh so i mean maybe it's just the symmetry of it all. Um, yeah, it could be. And there is some stuff that we know about Lucas's treatments. Like he wanted the wills to be a big part of it and the return of midichlorians. And you can read about that uh, in the link in the, in the article in the show notes. So if you know, it, it's a good thing they didn't pick and choose uh, <laughs> really everything from these treatments. So uh, it sounds like they, they got like maybe the better ideas and, um, or, or at least they uh, coincided with what we actually received in theaters. Yeah, I know uh, Pablo, who you mentioned, part of the Lucasfilm story group, he was kind of driven off social media. He's made his account private, I think, during the the backlash to Last Jedi. It, it could have been before that. I don't I don't remember the turn of events, but uh, he often uh, took joy in kind of trolling uh, Star Wars nerds who were like, like angry Star Wars nerds. Um, this page to me reads like that's what he's doing by, by picking and choosing this fact to put in this book. It, it, 
don't you think that he's like trying to you know uh, yeah it's I, I think you could read that into it especially if he has a history of that kind of behavior yeah it sort of reads as like uh hey maybe uh you know maybe your grand creator this person that you put on a pedestal um wasn't quite uh you know the fact that that he made the same decision that ultimately ended up being in the last jedi a movie that um you know a vocal contingent of star wars fandom absolutely hates for some reason uh yeah. the fact that that lucas had sort of the same concepts in mind um i think that is purposeful that he put that in there for sure okay let's uh let's move on let's talk about dexter they're making a new season of dexter chris what do we know yes so dexter's getting a reboot revival whatever you want to call it it's it's a new 10 episode limited series uh michael c hall is coming back as dexter and uh clyde phillips who was the the showrunner on the series for the first four seasons is coming back as well. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I I don't know really who wants this, but I guess there are still Dexter fans out there who, who want more Dexter. And I, I will say having uh, Clyde Phillips come back is a good sign because, in, you know, in my humble opinion, the show pretty much went downhill really quickly after season four. Season four is the last season I watched like, entirely after that i kind of just gave up on the show yeah well the first few seasons of dexter i think were really really good and uh as you know it was based on a book series and i think the further they kind of strayed from those books like the the first season is like almost like a complete adaptation of that first book uh dearly dexter or something like that um and it it almost plays as like a a mini series like a a movie or a you know a overarching story that takes place over a one season and i think when they kind of went off track from the books is when the the show kind of goes off track quite a bit i i know that last season was kind of painful to watch and uh the uh who was it? uh phillips uh he gave a interview recently who was this to uh this was to the Hollywood Reporter's TV Top 5 Podcast. And I'm going to quote him here. He said that uh, it's a great opportunity to write a second finale for our show. And Showtime has been very gracious about that. So that 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 sounds to me like they're trying to correct some wrongs from how that show, like the ending of that show was so poorly received. Like, even more so than I think almost any, if you had a top 10 list of the the worst TV finales of all time, that would probably be near the top, right? I mean, based on, uh, based on people's reaction, I would say, yes, everyone, it's sort of like become like a punchline at this point that, you know, it ends with Dexter growing a very fake looking beard and becoming a lumberjack. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there's a single person who defended that ending that I can think of. Like there, yeah. you know, there are some shows that have, controversial endings and they still have their defenders i i very rarely see anyone be like yeah i love the way dexter ended so yeah maybe this is a good way to uh give fans a better send-off than the one they got did did anybody here besides me watch dexter until the very end no i gave up right after season four just like chris (laughs) (laughs) I'm, i'm just wondering how they can redeem dexter after that finale I, I mean i guess he's been living his life for 10 years as a lumberjack or something yeah. then something pulls him back in i don't know 
it'll be you'll be the murder at the lumberjack factory yes there's the there's the lumberjack killer is afoot with his axe and dexter has to stop him <sighs> well at least he's not in love with his his uh sister again yes great that a great show <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's talk about uh they're making a movie based on Static Shock. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh one of the little things that came out of DC fandom back in August was that there was some discussion about possibly turning Static Shock uh into a movie. Uh for those who don't know, Static Shock um is a character who originates with Milestone Comics, uh which was distributed by DC Comics and it's a um, a comic uh, line created by black writers and artists to showcase uh, specifically uh, black superheroes. And Static Shock was one of the most popular. He even had an animated series that lasted for a few seasons uh, on the WB, which is the, the previous name for the network now known as the CW. And Michael B. Jordan has just boarded uh, the Static Shock movie as a producer uh, with a project that's situated at Warner Brothers Pictures. Uh, and Reginald Hudlin is also on board to produce. Uh, he produced Django Unchained and uh, Marshall, starring Chadwick Boseman. And he's on board uh, to produce this movie. And he's also in the works um, on rebooting Static Shock for Milestone Comics, which was just recently uh, brought back from the dead by DC Comics. They're launching uh, a bunch of new Milestone Comics superheroes uh, with new stories starting uh, in February of 2021. So uh, this sounds like it's going to be uh, a big thing for Warner Brothers, potentially with a, a whole new universe of these superheroes from Milestone Comics. Because in a statement, uh, Michael B. Jordan said, I'm proud to be part of building a new universe centered around black superheroes. Our community deserves that. So Static Shock uh, just might be the first in a line of other ones. And Milestone Comics has plenty of other uh, characters like uh, Icon and Hardware and, and Rocket and several other ones. Uh, that could be primed for being turned into either movies or maybe HBO Max series or something like that. Oh, boy. Another cinematic universe. Hey, I mean, you know, if uh, <laughs> if the people want it, then 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 maybe the people will get it. Yeah, uh, I've never actually read Static Shock, so I don't really have much of an opinion on this. Like, do you have any experience with? Static Shock? No, I um I never watched the animated series or read any of those uh, comics, so I'm not not familiar. But um, the character is not remarkably dissimilar from uh, like DC Comics Black Lightning, except Static Shock is a younger character. It's a, a geeky high school kid named Virgil who um, is exposed to uh, an experimental mutagen, and he somehow now has the ability to control electromagnetic forces. So uh, you know, it's it's a cool superhero character for for sure, and. Um, it's not without a, a place, you know, in comics history. It definitely has a, a strong following of fans, especially among the black community. Okay. We, we've been talking about The Last Starfighter, and it's kind of become a cult classic of sorts. And for many years, people have been trying to make a sequel, and it just the rights have been gonna, kind of uh, tied up. And we recently learned, I think last year, that a sequel is in the works. And we now know more. Ben, tell us about it. Yes. So The Last Starfighter came out in 1984. It is the story of a teenage boy who lives in a trailer park who sort of uses uh, arcade games as a way to um, disappear from his uh, humdrum life. And when he becomes the highest scoring player on an arcade game called Starfighter. He is contacted by aliens and basically told that the game is actually a training simulator for like a real life um, intergalactic conflict. And he is sort of drafted into their war. So it's like Ender's game and ready player one 
sort of all mixed up into one thing. So, um, yes, a, a sequel is now, you know, like I said, the movie came out in 1984 and it, I don't think it was like a huge hit at the time, but like you mentioned, it sort of gained this cult status and every few years there's always, you know, something pops up where people are talking about this movie and, uh, Evidently, a sequel is still in the works. So Jonathan uh, Betuel, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he, he co-wrote the original film. He's actually working on a new movie with Gary Whitta, who uh, wrote a draft for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And he recently said in an interview, it looks like we'll be making the deal to get it going. And he um, essentially just said... You know, it, it took him years to get the rights back, and that was a really complicated process, but they have a really good opportunity now, and he's looking forward to sort of taking on the challenge of, of getting this thing going. So um, there was a rumor at one point that this would be a TV show, but he uh, just said in this interview that it is going to be a movie with all the bells and whistles, and it won't presuppose that you've seen the original film. So, hmm. um, yeah, So is this going to be a sequel, a reboot, a legacy equal? How does this work? Uh, it is not going to be a reboot. It is going to be, I, it sounds like a direct sequel, um, you know, years and years later, I guess maybe a sequel or like a, one of the legacy sequels kind of, um, he said in terms of the story details, the leads of the original movie are now parents and time has passed. And, uh, he says what's changed is time itself. Certainly as the video world and the alien world have continued to tick away, it's not a time capsule of the eighties by any means. We're taking it to the next level, passing the torch or the joystick. So, uh, yeah, it sounds, I guess, kind of like a legacy sequel, legacy sequel. I never know how to pronounce that word, but, um, because the word doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't (laughs) exist. It was made by movie journalists. Uh, but I don't know the, the thing for me about the last starfighter, the, the thing that made this so appealing, uh, I think, to many kids is like the wish fulfillment that you could be so good at a video game that could be secretly being used to, like, you know, find you to help, you know, save the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do that if it's a sequel following the you know descendants of the same characters? Like, I feel like you can't have that same recruitment strategy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of the same, um, the same problem that like Ghostbusters Afterlife has, right? Like, how do you capture that same sense of, of wonder and like 80s Amblin vibe, you know, that kind of thing? in a world, you know, in in a, in a universe where 30 years ago, this crazy thing happened. Um, do you just pretend like it was a one-off and like the original guy is crazy and like nobody ever believes him. And then his kids get drafted into the same, you know, the, the follow-up war or, or something. I'm not sure what the like creative in is there, but, um, yeah, it's sort of, uh, interesting to think about because like that, that idea that like, as a gamer, you're special. I, I don't know if that's necessarily like mm-hmm. something that has aged well from the eighties. So um, it, it sounds like an interesting challenge to, to sort of create this and update it for modern audiences. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay. That does it for today's slash home daily. You can find more of all of our work at slash home.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page, leave us a rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.